Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. So I'm ready for this exciting conversation today with uh, someone who's a performance coach and an author. Um, And we're going to talk about his uh, brand new book called Intrinsic Motivation, Learn to Love Your Work and Succeed as Never Before. So I'm pleased to welcome Stefan Falk. Welcome, Stefan. Thank you so much, Brian. It's a pleasure that you invited me. Yes, thank you for being here. And so uh, in, in where we are, I hear so many people, just as you, I'm sure, uh, who tell me for one reason or another that they're stuck. And so we're going to talk a little bit about um, your your theories and your work around that. I know you've been a performance coach um, and have done uh, a number of, of uh, other roles. Uh, you've been in the C-suite and some global companies. Mm-hmm. And, and so you've seen a lot, um, especially when it comes to training leaders. Uh, but before we start talking about that work, I'd love to hear um, a little bit about how you got into uh, this this work of of motivation training for leaders and helping leaders in that way. I know uh, one of your books about finding flow and creativity and and what have you. But tell me how you got involved with this. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, for me it started um, in in the mid nineties. Um, and I joined McKinsey and Company uh, as a consultant. And, and and one of the things that I was super interested in is was like what seemed to be universal enigma for most companies, you know, how to drive change. Nowadays they call it transformation, but it's the same thing. Back then we call it change management. Um, and uh, what I soon discovered when I checked out, you know, different frameworks and approaches to how to drive change was that none of these frameworks or ideas were based on any at, at least explicit idea uh, you know based you know on how the human mind works uh, or how human learning works and all these things and fundamentally that is what change is about so my hypothesis back then was that hmm, maybe that's the missing link so in the mid 90s you know well be, beyond and before you know neuroscience and behavior science became sort of you know household things like it is today I started to, to, to dig into that. So I, I, I spent, I think, 20% of my time traveling around the world, you know, meeting leading neuroscientists, behavior scientists. I even went to the FBI's behavior science unit, you know, the, wow. the, you know, the, the, the criminal uh, minds type of people, you know, the person uh-huh. and spent some time with them because I had, my hypothesis was that, you know, where life and death is at stake, you know, a thing or two about the human mind. And I learned so much from them. And in this process, was, I, I got to know what became my mentor, and she sent me high. Um, you know, the, the, the person that came up with the concept of flow and also one of the leading authorities on creativity and innovation. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and then, you know, I learned a lot 
Um, and then I actually developed I, everything I learned. I developed into small methods that I then used when I left McKinsey to become an executive. And my specialty was like sort of large, large scale, you know, turnarounds of companies that were not performing really well. Yes. Yes. And and one thing I learned is the most important insight I made when I sort of dabbled in, in neuroscience, behavior science, and all these things for those years, was that an organization either have in its DNA the ability to adapt and change naturally, or it doesn't. And the common denominator with a handful of companies that actually can change and adapt naturally is that the vast majority of the people in this organization, they wake up every morning and push themselves to develop personally and professionally. And there are very, mm-hmm. very few organizations. And that's exactly how I drove all this, this transformation. So I, I always started when I joined and said, okay, the key priority we have here in this company from now on is daily personal and professional development. And the logic for that is twofold. First of all, it's about your own health because daily development is actually one of the five levers for achieving great brain health. And everything starts and ends with great brain health. But the second reason is that every goal we have is beyond where we are today. And we, we are where we are today because what we do today and how, what we know how to do. So if we want to be in another place than we are today, we need to actually do what we do today differently and also maybe learn how to do something differently. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's also relevant for that. And what I discovered over the years, I was an executive for about 12 years, uh, is that uh, you know, it went so much faster, the whole turnaround, and the resistance were very little. Because if you think about it, personal and professional development daily is probably one of, I would say, maybe the only area where the best, best interest of the organization is exactly the best interest of the individual too. So that's a little bit my, my background. And then I think 10 or 11 years ago, I asked myself, what am I going to do? I was then CFO in an American company and, and finished the turnaround. And I said, okay, am I going to continue doing this? I seem fairly well, you know, good at this. But, mm-hmm. but what I have realized over the years was that what, what is really, 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 really intrigues me is to help others to achieve things they didn't think they were capable of. That's my yes. reward, much more than yes. anything else. And yes. that's when I started my executive coaching practice. Sure. So that's sure. Me. Yes. So, so, and, and everything you said is coaching at its purest sense, like what your, what your personal objectives are, uh, where you say you, you really enjoy helping others and, and maximizing their performance, uh, just the definition of coach, right? Um, which yeah, I, is, I, I think it's also about satisfaction, you know, basic yeah, life yeah. satisfaction, you know, and, and health. It's not yeah. because performance, I think, is an outcome of the two first ones. Yes. Yes. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that about performance, because a lot of times we, we often think uh, about one, talk about coaching, what that means is as if you know, someone has to be a poor performer to need a coach in when we're talking about 
in in the business world or um, in in the field of education is that if someone needs a coach, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, what are you doing wrong? A lot of the mindset has been. I've I've mm-hmm. actually had to work with board members and convince them that uh, their executive could use a coach, could use someone mm-hmm. that's another you know, that helps them increase their performance and make good decisions, a thought partner, and that it is actually not something that should be seen as a negative. And where I go on to give them examples of where the you know Fortune 500 companies regularly uh, employ coaches for their for middle level managers as well as the executive mm-hmm. man, uh, uh, executives in the firms, mm-hmm. and so that they should shift their mindset about it. Um, and and so one is about coaching, but also the mm-hmm. notion of performance coaching in something other mm-hmm. than athletics is something that mm-hmm. I know is increasing in in the language that we we run across. But um, it's not something that you hear often. And so um, I, I'd love to hear you say a little bit more about how what when you're when you're coaching leaders that are in in tech or in mm-hmm. in even the, the, the public sector, uh, when you're talking about performance, what are some of the metrics you're 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 dealing with? Well, well, you know, I think I want. I would like to comment on 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 because I think what you say is so is so right. It's because if you think about you know high performance in any other domain than in business, in any other domain you have a coach, you have a teacher. Yes. Look at sports. Yes. Look at sports. But yes. for whatever strange obscure reason in business you don't. Okay, which is just like crazy and stupid. Uh, so that I have said, but in terms of in terms of metrics, um, I obviously I have sort of uh, my client portfolio. If it sounds so impersonal, but you know my the mix of clients I have, I have a set of clients that is like you know struggling, you know not you know you know not up to what is required of them, of course, and then I have clients that are so hard hitting, you know so you know, want to, to um, you know, to, to, to get on with it, you know, to perform much better and so forth. But I, I basically work in the same way with, with both of them. Of course, different content. We talk about different things, different tools or whatever. But it always starts with, okay, what is it that you really want to achieve? And I'm not talking about career coaching here. I'm talking about what is it that you need to achieve and want to achieve yeah, uh, you know, in your current position, okay. How yeah. can we break that down to something that is really tangible, so we know if we're getting closer or not to it, okay? Mm-hmm. And then, then I sort of, then I break it down, and I'm, I, I always tell my clients that you can more view me as a tennis coach than just a regular executive coach, and that means that you need to engage in daily practice every day that is relevant for where you want to be. Okay, mm-hmm. so every day you need to do something about that. Yes. Yes. So that that I think that's the the fundamental thing of what I'm doing, and. Um, and then besides that, there's some, you know, basic um, truth. I, I hold them as truth that people need to subscribe to, to, to fully unlock their potential. One is, you know, forget about talent. 
talent doesn't exist, okay? You can achieve whatever you want, okay, mm-hmm. if you insist on doing it, okay? Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is not talent. What we're talking about is dynamic development. And dynamic development is nothing else than the interaction between our genes and the environment. Mm-hmm. And the, depending on what you expose your genes to, that, that actually decides who you become, Okay, so, mm-hmm. so I'm super, I'm, that I think the, the notion of talent is probably the biggest excuse people use for not pursuing their dreams because uh-huh. they think they lack the talent. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. And I hear that a lot too, as I have coached a number of, of, of uh, leaders in executive level and middle level uh, that there is their disbelief in some ways that you're either born with some of it or you're not, you know, so it's like, I don't do that well. Uh, so I'm just not going to try to do that. <laughs> you know, so it, it's, uh, they give up very easily. Uh, and, and which is a great point for us to kind of pivot to talk a little bit about your book um, in the talk about intrinsic motivation in that when, when, you have individuals, and this, for me, at least seems to have, uh, was so timely, uh, this book, uh, for me, that you've, you've written, is that it just seems like it increasingly among leaders has become a factor. You know, people get stuck often um, around mm-hmm. what, what is their mindset for things. And I, mm-hmm. I, I um, uh, some of those mindsets, uh, have to do with them waiting on validation from the outside. Someone, um, mm-hmm. someone to say, yes, that's what you should do, or yes, you're doing a great job. But that where you talk about uh, doing something for its inherent satisfaction rather than external rewards, and rewards not always uh, tangible uh, monetary or award, uh, rewards, but as I mentioned, where people also looking for someone to pat them on the back or, or otherwise. So I'd love to hear more about um, this, this idea that, um, and I love what you said about um, that, that we have to meet our uh, psychological needs and we mm-hmm. have to do that consciously and purposefully. I want to add that mm-hmm. I often tell people, and I think it's consciously and purposefully, I say intentionally, that you, you, mm-hmm. you set intention to, be, uh, to meet your psychological needs, to be satisfied psychologically, that you set goals mm-hmm. and say this is what it will mean. So I'd love to hear more about your work around mm-hmm. how you get people to focus intrinsically and, and pull from there. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know, Brian, when I listen to you, I think that you should have written the book, at least together <laughs> with me, because uh, it sounds very, you know, you, you definitely know what you're talking about. I, I'd, I'd like to start with, you know, uh, what, what makes it difficult for people um, to really, you know, en- enjoy their work. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think part of that, uh, you're on to something, and that's the mindset you know, thinking, what is really work? What, what mm-hmm. is it really? And I think today we have, I mean, there's a lot of talk about, you know, toxic bosses, toxic environment, yes. whatever. Yes. 
Uh, yeah. You know, and, and I have to be honest, I work with, you know, thousands of leaders. I think now it's more than 5,500 leaders across more than mm. 100 organizations. I, wow. I, I met thousands of people. And, mm-hmm. and I have still to find a, a really toxic boss or toxic environment. What I think is the most toxic is how we describe work, how it's described in media and all these things. And, and I know that affects us. It affects us expectations of what work should be. So there's some kind of culture around work that is toxic, okay? And that makes it hard for people to expect something really good from it. So that's one mm-hmm. piece of the puzzle. And I'm really against that. I'm, I'm, I, I think it's terrible. I think the negativity around work itself. Now, there is also another problem, and that is how you think about yourself. What I, what I tell clients um, is, is that, okay, you need to choose a mindset for how you think about your work. Mm-hmm. Uh, because not finding a spin on how you think about your work that enables you to really enjoy it. And I say, when I say enjoy, feel alive when you're, yeah. when you're engaged yeah. in it, okay? That, that's the closest thing to, you know, self-abuse you can come because to just think about all the hours you spend. You spend yeah. two-thirds of, of, of your life, you know, at work and, and not mm-hmm. spending it in a way that actually builds yourself, makes you feel proud of yourself, you know. That's just you waste, okay? Now, how, how do I make people uh, come into the zone of, in, you know, intrinsic motivation? Well, well, a few things I do which I think is a little bit different with me, is I explain how the brain works. And you mm-hmm. need to have a basic understanding of that. You need mm-hmm. to understand that, that the brain only spends or only willing to stretch itself, you know, on stuff that it thinks is important for it to stretch on. Otherwise, it, it, it's in some kind of energy-saving mode. And one way to, to create that is to cultivate what I call exciting outcomes, you know. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. You, for instance, every day you select, you know, one task or one meeting or whatever you have in your calendar where you really think about, okay, how can I up my game in this situation, okay? How can I, you know, create something that is a little bit more than the ordinary type of result I create, okay? And mm-hmm. what's going to be my tactics to achieve that? Because intrinsic motivation uh, is actually enabled by having a plan for what you want to achieve. Because Mm -hmm. when you're in the moment, you know, performing, it's following the plan that enables you to feel that feeling of being completely immersed in what you're doing, okay? And it also enables you to get direct feedback in it. Yes. And in terms of coming up with exciting outcomes, there is one that, you know, I use this every day, and that's the time element. So let's say that you and I were working together, and I, I, was, I was coaching you, and we have our regular one hour every week. And I just feel that now when I meet Brian today, you know, I really, really want to make it. I want to be, I want this coaching session to be, you know, even more valuable than, than, than mm-hmm. the others we had, okay? Mm-hmm. And we have mm-hmm. this agenda. Brian is, is still working on these things. Okay, we have one hour. Then I think to myself, okay, let's say I only had 20 minutes, you know, instead of the hour. Hmm, that's an interesting problem. How would I go about creating that outcome only using 20 minutes, you know, instead of my one hour? 
Then mm-hmm. I get busy in my head thinking about, you know, a plan for doing that. And while thinking about that plan, I also become very aware of how I usually do before and, and when I coach you. So it leads to self-insight and more knowledge about my own way of doing things, okay? Mm-hmm. And that, that then I can build a plan, if it makes sense. So it's, yes. it's about, you know, activating your thinking about your work, okay? And most mm-hmm. people, they operate on habits. You come into the job, you learn the job, and then you log out intellectually. And then yes. you start to just perform your tests more or less in the same way over and over again. And you know what happens? Your performance goes down and you get bored. Yes. That's what yes. happens. Yes, absolutely. We, you know, we have so many old ways of of thinking about work that I, I don't know, and you, you probably know more about this than I, with regards to like the industrial model or the factory model, uh, even in a technology rich environment that we, we, it's almost as if we don't expect people work can't be fun. (laughs) You know, that uh, work, work is not supposed, work is work. And, and Mm -hmm. if, if you actually enjoy this, something's wrong. What do you think that is? Is that just, it's been passed down? Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. I, I think, you know, but, but let, let me, let me share something else. Uh, and, and I don't want to, you know, I, I was asked by, by my publicist to answer to, to an article in psychology today, I think it's called, mm. yeah. Okay. Um, and, a per, and a person, basically a PhD, of course, writing about intrinsic, extrinsic motivation and claiming that, you know, certain things, it's basically impossible to be intrinsically motivated and mm-hmm. have some examples, for instance, working in a restaurant or working in a factory and, and whatnot. Okay. Now, it happens that our brain is wired to derive the most satisfaction when we are engaged in an activity that is physical and that generates a tangible result that mm. is meaningful for our survival. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, that actually explains why factory workers, for instance, are more satisfied than office workers because in the mm. office space, you know, the result is not that tangible. I had a beautiful experience uh, the week before last week because I had a four-hour session with the management team on the brain. Mm-hmm. And before the meeting, I had, had, had a conversation with one of the executives, and I talked, I, I'm probably going to share, you know, a little bit how the brain is wired in terms of its, you know, rewards and satisfaction of being involved in, in work, okay, whatever. And when I told him the story, he said, oh, my God, he said, it's so true and started to tell, before he became an executive, he was a mining engineer. And he said, well, you know, when I was a mining engineer, we had to target every day how many holes we're going to drill. Okay, it was obvious to me. <laughs> yeah. It was physical work. We had yeah. lots of problems. They were practical. We could see the results of the problems we solved and all these things. When I left work, I could really leave work. When I jumped into bed, it felt like I deserved it. I could relax, you know, no problems. Now when I'm an executive, 
it's not that transparent to me what is it that I really achieve every day because the results are going to come much later depending on other people and so forth. And it's very easy for me to bring my work to home, you know, and I can't relax. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing, so, so the question, I, I think the key question if we sort of think about it is that how can I, if I work in an office, how can I emulate the work at the office, so it looks a little bit more like work did before, you know, when we were this like physical, tangible results and all these things, okay? Mm-hmm. That's it. And that's why I think, you know, having daily goals that, that really you can work toward, okay, and you decide what should be a great achievement that day is super right. important. Right, absolutely, but, absolutely. But, but ask, but ask people, ask your clients. You know, how many people work like that? Almost no one. Okay, mm-hmm. no one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh no, I, I I agree with you one hundred percent. And and the reason I brought that up was is because um, leaders often struggle to uh, to have people um, feel satisfied with their work um and 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 when they're making assignments you know trying to figure out what's going to make what's going to be productive how can i get them to be productive and mm-hmm. i i have seen where rarely if ever uh do i recall someone um thinking about what the person gets out of it for themselves they they no. are it's about what they're doing for someone yeah 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 and but but there's, there's also you know with this like negativity around business and organizations and whatever um you know in in, in the media and all the things it's it's like it, you know many people i meet are also a little bit paranoid you know that mm-hmm. that okay any any change that the executive team proposes ah they're going to cut jobs now. They're going to cut jobs yeah. now. Okay, there's yeah. some, there's something here. Okay, whatever it is, and and and, and obviously, you know, um, you know, of course, one hundred percent of decisions taken by an executive team or a CEO are not going to be good. Nobody can take just good, make the good decisions. You know, some mm-hmm. of them are going to be crap decisions. Some of them are going to be good. Okay. But I find the vast majority of executives, CEOs, and whatever I've, I've sort of met over the past 30 years, they have fundamentally good intentions. Why? Yes. Because they are human beings too, okay? They are, mm-hmm. not, they are not from Mars, okay? They are also human beings. So, and, and I find that many people actually live by the, you know, leaders live by the golden rule that, you know, they don't, they don't do to others what they don't want to be done to themselves, okay? So they have much more empathy than, you know, usually people talk about. But there is some paranoia also, you know, negative expectations. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So I know that you, so your book focus is more directed towards individuals and helping them, uh, as you say, learn to love their work and succeed. How much of this is, I know I've heard you talk about working with leadership teams and you've worked with kind of in within an organization, a C-suite of execs. How much of this and or how might you describe the work of 
people who are in leadership roles, how might you describe that work that they bring back to the organization or to the team or to the unit? Uh, because a lot of people that listen in to us will be, they will be in, uh, of course, they'll be able to get the book and say, okay, for me, okay, I know how to do that for me, but how might they jumpstart or be a catalyst for people within their organization? Well, I think, I think that, that uh, in the book, uh, you know, one, one of the recommendations I have, uh, you know, in general to all my clients, and I, I do this all the time, is, you know, spice everything up, you know, with, with peer apprenticeship, you know. You hang out with some buddies, um, you, you sort of join forces in, in helping each other, you know, to make work much more meaningful and hence, you know, make yourself much more, you know, successful and satisfied. So you're doing it, doing it with others. Um, I think if you're a leader, um, you know, you can, you know, use the book together with your team. Uh, I think that's perfect. Remember, uh, the book actually, there was no intention of writing a book from the beginning. <laughs> uh, you know, every, everything in the book um, is, is like proven methods that I've developed for the past 20, 25 years. Of course, mm-hmm. it's a selection of methods. I, I have more yeah. more stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it started as, as basically a, a one-pager about solving this type of problem, half a page about uh, this and blah, 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 and then I built it out to a book. So, so it, 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 it was actually from the beginning just like a set of uh, almost like a handbook that mm-hmm. I now built mm-hmm. out to more like a regular book. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so every, everything, is, everything is like, you know, the usability is very high of it. I, I try to keep it as simple as possible. You know, some of the methods probably I could write a book about themselves, but I, I, I limit it to two pages because there's a starting point for you to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I find the book, I'm actually doing that now with two, two, two leaders and their teams, basically, you know, working with them and they're reading the book and they are studying and they are thinking and they're making a selection, they're prototyping, whatever, before mm-hmm. they roll it out to, to the awesome. large organization. So, so it's, awesome. it's, very, it's very, it's simple, okay? It's simple. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. For those of you who are just tuning in, perhaps uh, we're talking about intrinsic motivation. Learn to love your work and succeed as never before. Author is uh, Stefan Falk. So, Stefan, thank you so much. I know we're out of time already. I told you it was going to go really fast. I could just keep talking with you here. Um, but I really appreciate your time. Uh, please tell us, uh, I'm sure people are going to want to know how to follow your work. I know you have podcasts and other things. Please share um, how they can uh, learn more about the work that you're doing um, in, in addition to this book. Well, they, they can they visit. I have, I have a web page. Uh, it's called learntoloveyourwork.com learn to love your work.com. And if they also want to contact me, they can do that through, through that web page. Yes. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I know uh, that you're in New York um, quite often. Um, so I'm going to look and see, I'm going to try to get you over to Columbia. Uh, I think my, my students would be very, 
uh, enriched by having you come and talk to us. So we'll be in touch with you. I'm and, a, I, uh, I remember that. And I live on Upper West Side, so I'm not stopping uh, you. Oh, yeah. So you you just to walk away, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you so much. And we, we um, like I said, I'm going to be in touch and um, hopefully see you soon. But until then, uh, go well, stay well. Stay well. And also, Brian, stay excited. Okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Take care thank now. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. Bye.